Welcome to the Sons of Mjolnir podcast. The Sons of... What? This isn't your Sons of Macaroni, yeah! The Sons of Mjol... Mjolnir? This is Sons of Mjolnir, yeah, yeah, yeah! Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Sons of Mjolnir podcast. We're glad you're here today. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Gorgon. I'm Fat Thor. And today we are very excited. We are very proud to, to today on our podcast. We get to have Mr. Colin Bunn, the master of horror himself. You probably know him from a lot of his work from Uncanny X-Men, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, Venom, The Empty Man, Parasomnia, Basilisk, Night by Night, and more. Mr. Bunn, thank you so much for coming on today. We're really excited to have you. Well, thanks for thanks for talking with me. Glad to be here. Of course, of course. I mean, Gorgon was, you know, uh, going off of some of your work. I think we could literally sit here all day and just keep naming off your titles, man. You're literally everywhere. The the bun business is booming, as people would say. I mean, that, it's is crazy. That what they say? I, I mean, know. that's what I'm saying. But right. like, <laughs> but like I said, you're everywhere, man. You're just you're writing so many books, and we cannot be more excited to get into all this stuff with you. Well, I'm I'm happy to talk about it. Well, so usually on the show, we usually kind of start off with, you know, your typical comic origin story. And, uh, you know, we've had a couple other horror writers on and we've kind of talked about their horror origin. And so just to kind of kick things off so our audience and people listening can kind of get to know you a little better. So you've talked about that you started reading comics basically when you started to read. That's how you kind of started reading was from comics. Uh, you've mentioned X-Men as kind of one of your earliest uh, memories of reading comics. Uh, something that I thought was super, super interesting is you actually, in fifth grade, wrote a comic, X-Laser Nights, featuring <laughs> all of your friends. And you joked that you had a weekly release even back then. So I thought that yeah. was super cool. And you also talked about actually selling your own comics at uh, local Comic-Con, stuff like that. So my question is, I thought this was very interesting. You said that when you were younger, if you could talk to yourself when you were younger, that one of the advice, a piece of advice you would give yourself is to believe in yourself. But I thought, like I said, at fifth grade, you're writing comics already. You're going to cons. That seems like someone who believes in himself a little bit. And you also said that you just have always wanted to tell stories. So I'm curious, uh, being a young kid writing comics like that and kind of feeling like you don't really believe in yourself, where do you think that kind of innate desire to tell stories came from? Uh, you know, part of it is uh, is my my dad was always sort of a, a natural born storyteller. And my dad was this guy who could talk to anybody. Everybody loved him. You know, he never met someone who wasn't his friend. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never inherited that. I didn't get that. I, you know, I, I never understood it. I'm, I have always been a painfully shy person. I don't do well, uh, especially meeting people for the first time, talking to people. It's not in, I just don't have that skill set. Um, and I thought telling stories would be a way for me to connect with people that I can't do in my day to day. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just can't do that. So that's part of it is I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to tell stories. I also thought, hey, this is a it's a way for me to to communicate uh in a bigger way than than I'm typically able to. 
Um, and then, you know, beyond that, I just love these, you know, these are, these are the kind of things I love. I love horror. Mm-hmm. I love comics. I love movies. I love all that stuff. So, uh, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be in the thick of it. I, I just, uh, I've just always liked the idea of creating something. Mm-hmm. And I mean, can I say you're damn good at it too, my friend. And you talk about like you're shy and stuff like that, which I a hundred percent relate to, which I know kind of sounds weird since I host a podcast and I'm on the internet like every day of the week, but I totally relate to that too. And like trying to connect with people through these stories, but uh, you kind of touch on this a little bit and something else I want to talk about from your early years that I just you're you're a fascinating guy, my friend. You like the more I learn about you, I'm just like, man, this guy, I could talk to this guy for hours. He's just so interesting. The, the good news is, is most of it's they're all lies. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. So you got uh, let's see uh, I if I remember correctly, you got like alien obtopsist or, you know, <laughs> alien scientist, the Sasquatch hunter, all those things. But the thing I wanted to ask you about, which is true, is uh, being the world's youngest hypnotist. So your dad was actually a professional hypnotist. And uh, another thing that you talked about that I thought was super interesting was when you're growing up in North Carolina, you grew up in a small town, uh, let's see, Newton Grove, uh, City of Opportunity. Part of, yeah, Newton Grove, uh, a part of the time. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I lived in many towns mm-hmm. in, in North Carolina, but Newton Grove was uh, when I was very young, for sure. Yeah, well, the story that I'm re- referencing specifically is you talked about the sheriff uh, coming, speeding rapidly down your street, coming Man, to your where house. Find, where do you find <laughs> these nonsense stories? I mean, that's a true story, but I don't even remember okay. telling that. But okay, yeah. Hey, uh, we we do our research over here, Mr. Bun. But uh, <laughs> to go yeah. along with the story, uh, like you were saying, is speeding down the road, comes to your house and is scream, screaming or telling you about how there's UFOs abducting people in town. Yeah, I can't remember if he was saying they were abducting, but he definitely was saying there was like a UFO flying over <laughs> the Tasty Freeze in the middle of in the middle of town. Which is just... Um, absolutely insanity but along with that and your dad being a hypnotist and like you were saying you grew up in kind of a bunch of different kind of rural more midwest towns i'm curious with being the horror guy and like the legendary horror writer do you have any other kind of stories maybe or and or experiences from your younger days that influence your spooky stories and are you kind of a believer in the supernatural and whatnot in your personal life I want to be a believer. I'm I'm probably a little bit too much of a skeptic, but I really wish things were, you know, I really wish I could believe uh, in everything. And yeah, look, the sheriff drove the house screaming about a UFO when I was very little, and that freaked me out. Uh, that same house, uh, one afternoon we went somewhere and we came back and it was infested with locusts. They were just crawling through the house in blankets. Uh, these, oh my these, gosh! And, uh, uh, you know, you know, years, you know, maybe a few years later. Well, that's the same house, and I've told this story many times. Uh, that's the same house that uh, I was looking out the back window, and a man crawled out from under the house, and he crawled across our yard, and he picked an apple off the tree, and then he crawled back under the house. What? And, uh, and that you know, <laughs> dude <laughs> i remember watching that and i yelled for my mom there's a man under the house and you know she called my dad and he came home from work and like crawled under the house and the man the man was no longer there 
but there were a lot of apple cores under the house. He'd been picking and eating apples for a while. Um, That's crazy. That's a crazy story. You don't grow grow up in the country and not see some weird, uh, weird stuff. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, I used to, I used to say, I know people always talk about, oh, you live in the city. If you live in the city, that's dangerous. Like you don't have any idea what you're talking about. You don't know what real danger is like. <laughs> Not until you've faced off with some country guy who's crazy as hell and has seen a UFO flying over the damn tasty freeze. Yeah. That's danger. Eating um, eating apples under your house. Guys, <laughs> you know, you know, itinerant people walking around stealing apples from your tree. <laughs> Well, that's what um, I wanted to ask you about it, because like I said, not only is it very super interesting, I think, but I'm from a small cornfield town outside of Chicago. Gorgon's from, you know, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. So I definitely relate to, like you said, things things are a little spookier. out. Like I'm in L.A. now, so it's like sure. completely different. But like Midwest, you know, it's spooky out there in like the cornfields and the woods and whatnot. Yeah you know, it can get spooky out there. So I was curious, again, being the horror guy, I feel like you got some experiences that you're pulling from for some of your work, oh, especially for Crooked Hills, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, Crooked Hills is pretty much a love letter to those kind of stories and things you see and things that happen. But yeah, I mean, it, it's throughout my life, there was always something weird going on. And, you know, some people would say, well, if you look for it, you know, if you're if you're on the lookout for it, you're going to find the weirdness, because <laughs> let's face it, it's a weird world. It's yeah. it's a weird place. Um, but uh, but there was always stuff. I mean, just a few weeks ago, I was driving. I mean, and I still have these, you know, there's still weird stuff goes on. Just a few weeks ago, I was driving back from Kansas City, and I don't know what I saw. I swear there was something in the field across the highway. It was massive, and it was like a, a semi-translucent, luminescent dome. And it had these giant sails that were moving from around it. And uh, and I passed it. And I was like, well, I don't I have no idea what I was looking. I have no idea what I just saw. I've never seen anything like that out in the darkness. And I, I considered turning around, you know, hitting the next exit, crossing, going back down the highway, just to get a look at it again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, because, it's you know, it's probably going to be like just something normal. And it's more yeah. interesting. It's more interesting just to just to think I saw something really bizarre out there in the field. Yeah, uh, I was to say either something very normal or something insanely crazy. And then I'm like, you've or, written enough horror stories to know, like maybe you should just keep going. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I told my wife about it, and she's like, "Oh, that's weird." Some friends of mine posted these weird lights that were flying over over their town, not far from where you were. And I was like, "Well, who the hell knows? Maybe." <laughs> Maybe it's that damn tasty freeze UFOs back I say, again. Damn tasty freeze. They're coming oh, back for right. you. <laughs> I like what you say that it's better to imagine that it was something else instead of something normal, right? I yeah. in, in the realm of writing horror, I feel like that's probably a pretty good mentality to have. And I would imagine a lot of the horror that you've said inspires you, those writers probably have that same mentality. You've said before you're inspired by Bill Mantlo, that you're inspired by Alan Moore, Stephen King, Dean Coots, all these great writers in in their stories of it all. I feel like they would probably have that same mentality, particular David Cronenberg, whose horror movies you very much love too. I feel like when when I was reading your Sinestro and your Lobo runs in the New 52 era for DC, for some of the monsters in the background, I kind of got a Cronenberg-esque feel from on it. 
Oh, you know, I've never thought about that, but you're, you know, you're, you're probably right. They're definitely, I mean, I'm certain there's some, there are, you know, if I get the chance to, to work in a little, a little body horror and uh, sort of that weird, surreal, uh, what the hell just happened kind of horror, even in superhero books, I want to, I want to do it. And yeah, uh, Sinestro gave me that, that opportunity. There's a lot of, there were a lot of those uh, yellow lanterns that, that, I just was able to touch on just briefly even and not, you know, just to see him glimpse them there in the backgrounds. It's one of my favorite runs. I've actually talked on the show a bit on it. I, uh, we we had an episode where we talked about our favorite underrated runs of all time. And I regularly talk about how much I loved your new 52 Lobo and Sinestro together at, at, at that time, because for me as a young comic book reader, it that was something that a tr it was a different take on the characters that the older version didn't make me care of, and yeah. it was probably the runs that started making me care about writers. Right when you're young, you care about characters and stories. You go, oh, I like Spider Man, so you just pick up Spider Man. But picking those up together, I was like, who is writing this? And that was the first stories that made me go, who is writing this? And then I started looking for your work. I, I credit yeah. you as being the writer who did that. And you kind of are who what led me to Symbiotes, which I have a massive fascination with. I'm kind of our symbiote person on the podcast. How does it feel for the guy who's wrote so many different symbiote stories to, to be able to look at where symbiotes have come now? Right. Because you started in symbiotes back when Venom was this still a lot of people still looked at Venom as this this bad villain. Right. Attached to Spider-Man. But you you were right there in the forefront of it all in, in helping give Eddie Brock purpose in having Flash Thompson become Agent Venom. You threw in Andy Benton, who who got mania, who is now one of the most beloved hosts of all time with with so much backstory to her. You've been integral from them all the way up through the absolute carnage screen. Venomverse now in Death of Venomverse. How does it feel to to be able to sit there and be like, damn, what I did changed so much for where we are now? Well, it's a it's bittersweet to be honest. It's a it's a little it's a little it's a little hard sometimes to talk about it, only because um, I loved Flash Thompson as Venom, and I loved loved Andy Benton. She's my favorite, my favorite character that I ever created. You know, I created a number of characters for Marvel that were all quickly forgotten. Um, but, uh, but Andy's the one that I really loved. And, uh, and Declan Shalvey and I came up with a, a design of the character that I still say her design in Mania is one of the best designs of a character in years. So it's bitter. It's it's really cool to see how far Venom has come now, and how you know how it's you know it's so. Let's be honest, it's so bonkers. I mean, the story, the Venom story, is just completely bonkers now, um, and that's cool and that's really neat. But uh, but man, I don't like where Mania where Mania is. And by that I mean she's not. There is no Mania, and I don't like that. I don't. You know, I would love. You know, I would love to to write uh, a Flash and Mania story again. Um, and I, but the thing is, I feel like those characters. I'm not sure those characters exist in the the tone of Venom, because Flash and Mania should be a little more grounded. You know, Flash and Andy, that's a little more grounded of a story, I think. Um, 
and 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 that sort of the relationship between the two of them was something that was quickly just forgotten and that you know that uh that's always bugged me uh you know and uh and as much as i try to tilt that windmill of getting mania back um it's just, it's just never gonna happen there is just a there is a for for whatever reason i feel like there's a dislike of mania when it comes to to the marvel offices um but I've tried, and I mean, I'll I'll try again. You know, I'll keep trying. But I would well, love the, to. I would love to do more with Mania. Uh, well, the fans certainly love Mania. I we talk on it on Twitter all the time. I, you know, uh, Andy Ben had had become host of Scream and then host of Silence, and and the fans seemed to enjoy Silence because it seemed like it brought back that relationship with Flash. Right. Yeah, she was carrying something that was part from him, even though she's older now. I, I saw a fan uh, talking on Twitter the other day and they're like, you know, what would be really cool if Colin Bund got to come in and write someone new who picks up mania. And now Andy is Andy is having to coach them the way Flash coached Andy. And she's having to constantly go to Flash and be like, hey, what do I do about this? You know, it's uh, it's one of those it's it's one of those weird things. Every character is somebody's favorite character. You know, even yep. these characters that you've never, you and and my and one of my I guess it was the editor of of Venom at the time when you know, you know the way things work is you know let's boost let's boost sales so we'll end this run and start it with a new writer or do mm -hmm. something and that's fine, uh, but I remember he told me he said, you know you can always take this with you is Mania is somebody's favorite character and always will be. Um, absolutely you know, and and that's you know that's that's always you know heartening yeah i'd love to you know i would uh i'd probably fall all over myself to to write there's a number of projects that i wouldn't rush to go you know rush to try to do again but uh but writing flash or mania or andy um you know writing sinestro writing magneto you know those kind of characters i would probably you know, rush to do. I'd be excited to write those characters again. Um, would, uh, would Andy and them fall into your Venom story you've talked about before that you've pitched that never got to come true, your Venom, The Descent? Would would they fall into that? Well, Andy was key to The Descent back when she had her Hellmark. Um, you know, it was always, and look, this was always me trying to, I was trying to game the system in a lot of ways. I was trying to do some things and tell a bigger story that I knew I would ever get to tell. So some of that shame on me, right? <laughs> I, I knew that this would never happen. But you know, I wrote a, I wrote a book called um, Fear Itself, The Fearless. And in that book, I turned Damien Hellstrom into a villain. And it, he's the son of Satan. Come on, guys. <laughs> anyway, but he started talking about the descent. And then when I took over Venom, I had Hellstrom in the in that book. And uh and I always intended, and then I knew, okay, Venom's going to get in, you know, Venom's going to get canceled at some point, and I'll work the descent into some other book, and we can, you know, roll Andy into that and everything. So it was always me trying to to fit, you know, pieces in together that I could tell a longer story, um, you know, maybe across several books. With the descent, it just never happened, and it just, you know, it just kind of was forgotten but yeah andy was a key a key part of of the descent which was 
And to some degree, I don't even remember everything it was about. I, <laughs> I, I remember that it was something to do with um, Mephisto stepping down or someone becoming the new ruler of hell in the Marvel Universe. And it was intended that one of the Marvel characters would eventually become this new ruler of hell in Marvel. Um, and Andy was Andy was in the the running for that. I had plans that Magic was going Magic from the X Men, who's also a favorite character of mine, was going to enter that that realm and maybe potentially be. Um, even later, when I took over X Men, I introduced this like dark version of the X Men that were from a supernatural worlds uh, that I called the Hex Men. And I even thought, man, if I can just get these, if I can just get the Hex Men to. <laughs> just have a chance to really do something with them i can circle back to the descent again mm -hmm. and uh and that's probably you know maybe marvel just got tired of me trying to work these storylines out <laughs> or you know, behind the scenes you know trying to make these things happen they're like um, all right colin we got it yeah, the descent night stalkers we got it on our yeah, list yeah, all right all these things i keep trying to make happen um then you know now i'll pitch a book and i'll say all right oh and we'll work in the descent like that book was 15 years old. No one remembers, you know, no one wants that except you. We, I, we want it. We I think want it could fly. We we yeah. did a fan pitch episode a while back, our listeners and viewers will remember, where I talked about what I would do as a Venom writer if, if I got to write Venom as a fan. And Andy still has the Hellmark. And yeah. uh, Mephisto has a bit of a symbiote that came directly from Null in a cage oh. in Hell. And I, my fan pitch would be that causing a problem in hell and her hellmark being the only way she can protect the symbiotes to go down there and help with the ghost riders and fight this war in hell to keep it from emerging. I oh, think you could still find a way to make that work today. I think the pieces are all still there, my friend. I'd read it. It'd be on my pull list tomorrow. Yeah, look, I, I love that. You know, I, uh, I grew up reading Marvel comics in the era, you know, you mentioned Uncanny X-Men earlier, and, and Chris Claremont, one of the things he was just an absolute master at was seeding these little story ideas that would not pay off for years. Yeah. You know, there'd be some little thing that, oh, here's a, and it just seemed oddball out of nowhere. Here's a character that just shows up for a second on a panel. And that is a huge story element that pays off years down the line. And that is what I loved about superhero comics more than anything was that 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 feeling that, oh, I remember reading about this guy. I remember him mm -hmm. being in there and, and this is just all paying off. And uh, and Claremont just he could play the long game better than anybody. Um, and Comics just aren't built that way anymore, unfortunately. I mean, you know, Marvel and DC books, um, they they just they just aren't built that way. And I don't know that. I mean, I think there's definitely readers who who still want that kind of thing, but I think the vast majority of readers need that payoff. We need it now. Let's mm -hmm. you know. I, I can't wait. I don't want to wait for that. <laughs> and also, most series don't last that long anymore. I mean. A dozen, a, a twelve issue series is considered a shocking success, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's uh, you know that's going to stand in the way of of those kind of long payoff stories. Yeah, and I mean we know that you love your long your long stories. You said that you know you <laughs> love your long runs and stuff. And I'm curious, you kind of touched on this already. You said you've said before that at least right now in your career, you're at the point of where 
you're not chasing things down. Like if, you know, especially from the big two, like Marvel and DC, like you're not kind of pursuing them. So I'm curious with Death of the Venomverse, uh, that's kind of, you know, encapsulating a lot of stories into this kind of uh, a little event. So I'm curious, what was that uh, process like uh, getting you to come back and doing that? They must have had a real good pitch uh, to get you to do that, huh? Well, it wasn't even that they had a great pitch. Uh, They just emailed me and said, hey, it's the whatever, 30th, 25th, whatever anniversary of Venom. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, let would you like to come back since you did the first two sort of Venom, Venom verse and Venom eyes and do this big Venom crossover? Um, and they said, we want to, you know, we want to call it Death of the Venomverse. And they had an idea, of, you know, that it was Carnage doing something. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I got to be honest, and I don't know if this is a popular opinion or not, but or it's, it's probably not popular for me to say. But once I write one of these characters, I can't read the next writer stuff. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read a Venom book since I left. I mean, here really? and there. Here and there, I picked it up, you know, and I kept up with what Donnie was doing, and, you know, I knew what was going on, and it's not that I don't, it's not that I don't think they're good books. Uh, You know, Clay Chapman wrote the Scream series, and as far as I, I, Clay's a great writer, but I couldn't read it, and it's not, it's not that I don't think they're good books, it's just very difficult for me. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it's almost like you're dating this girl in high school and then she dumps you and you don't want to hang out with her and her new new boyfriend you know yeah (laughs) well you've talked that you get very invested like in your characters especially that the ones that you're writing so that's kind of why i wanted to ask about death of the venomverse because again with that on top of you talking about again like you're not really searching for those kind of things i was interested on how that came about and again like your return to venom it was the editor reaching out. And like I said, I love it. I figured, oh, Death of the Venomverse, I can at least put Mania in this. You know, it's, you know, Mania can be in it in some way. Um, and uh, <laughs> and even then, you know, I put Mania in it. And that was a big fight because Mania had a bigger role in the book. And the editors just did not want her in the series. They just didn't want her in. So like, they were like, why don't you kill her? And I was like, I don't like that. <laughs> like, I, don't, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love that. So I was like, okay, well, maybe if I can bring silence into it, at least I'm still, you know, I'm not killing Andy. Um, you know, I'm I'm killing and and Andy and not the yeah. you know, not Andy Prime or whatever <laughs> it would be. But yeah, um yeah, I get very invested, and that's why I wanted to do the book, because I just love those characters. Um but yeah, it's it's tough for me to read these stories once I'm done, only because mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying I never will, and, and eventually I will, I'm sure, but I, I just, uh, it just, it's, it's tough for me. I, mm-hmm. I love these characters. I don't want, you know, even characters I don't like when I first start writing them, if I really get into it, I start really, you know, I really connect with those characters and I really, I don't want to let them go. I approach, and it's, it's, a. It's probably something I shouldn't do, and I, sh- I I maybe should have taught myself not to do this. I get like a creator-owned mentality towards these characters, mm-hmm. and they're not creator-owned. They're, I mean, they're not creator-owned characters. So uh, it's uh, it can be it can be it can be a, that to me has always been 
a big struggle because as far as I'm concerned, Sinestro's my character, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, Magneto, yep, my character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, I don't well, care that they've been around longer than I have. Yeah. My characters. Well, <laughs> I just like, I totally understand that. I mean, while I'm not a comic book writer, I can totally understand that because it's like, you grow up loving comics, loving these characters, and then you get a chance to put your stamp on it. How can you not like get just per- so personally involved? And it kind of reminds me, we had uh, Jackson Lansing on a little while ago, and he kind of talked about when writing Steve Rogers, how it almost kind of felt like st- when he would write like Steve's dialogue, it was like Steve was talking through him. It wasn't really him writing it. And I feel like, again, writing any character you're like getting into that character's mind space and like their thoughts and feelings and all that stuff. So I can, like I said, only imagine how hard it is to get out of that mind space. And like you said, like, let that go. I, I could, I think that's totally, like I said, understandable. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it, it, it I, there's nothing, it's just the way I'm, I'm wired. So there's nothing I can mm-hmm. do about it. Uh, yeah. but I kind of wish there was a way to turn that off. Yeah. <laughs> like, if it makes you feel better. Clay Clay credited you as a massive inspiration for his scream, and it was a very well done book in that. He brought some old school horror elements into it. Uh there's definitely some body horror in there with it. I, I think you'd enjoy it for a fun well, read for Halloween. I, I'm I'm sure I would. Clay is a is an amazing writer. I love his prose. So there's no doubt I'd love seeing him write that character, but oh, it's tough. <laughs> like, oh man, my new my old girlfriend's boyfriend's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I, sure, I sure love that. That honestly <laughs> might make it worse though. Like, <laughs> if it was a shitty book, it might be easier to be like, oh yeah, well it's kind of shitty. But if it's a good book, that might make you feel a little worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I think it would probably. I think either way, I'd feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you mentioned having a creator-owned contact mentality, and I think that's an excellent segue into where like a lot of your work has been over the years, because you haven't been writing a lot for the big two. You've been doing more things that, that feed you and, and your process as, as a writer, things from Six Gun, Shadow Roads, everybody knows Harrow's County. Um, actually, where I'm at in Tulsa, Harrow's County is their number one recommended uh, comic book um, at the local library that we have oh, here awesome. um, for, for people great. for Halloween right now. Um, it's huge. Uh, Blood Feud was really good. Uh, in recent years, you've had Eden, Rogue Planet, Basilisk, Nightwalker super recently. Uh, let's let's talk about all those for a second, because you deal a lot with that in, in horror, obviously. That's, that's what you're known for. And you've said before, humor shouldn't come from the monsters. The humor needs to come from us, right, in, in referencing the human characters. And, and there's definitely quite a bit of the humor coming from it, but also in some of those stories, the, the, the horror, right? I have Basilisk behind me, perfect example right yeah. now. And the horror very much came from the hearts of who we are as people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basilisk was basilisk in particular was a is a book where yeah it's it's you know that story is dealing like with these godlike characters these five characters have these insane abilities and really one of them may be moving towards literal godhood in a way but what makes them dangerous is not the their power it's their sort of their 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 attitudes and and the you know the things that drive them sort of the the loneliness and the anger that drives them you know uh and, and the hubris that drives them along 
and you know on the other side of basilisk is is one character who's really consumed by guilt and then well two characters who are consumed by guilt but then one who's also their guilt becomes this you know uh, hunger for revenge and and these are all human emotions that if we these are all emotions that you let them if you let them control you 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 go down a dangerous path and that's what basilisk was about is these these folks these people who are all of them every every care every main character in basilisk is consumed by sort of these these heightened emotions that take them into uh extremely dangerous territories um i loved it it was in my top 10 books of last year in fact i think it was my number two or three for for books for for last year when when we did our end of year recap i i was shocked when i went to the comic book shop and they said hey you know this is the last issue right and i said what and they're (laughs) like yeah no he he wanted this to be the end and i'm like i wanted three more volumes what are you talking about i'm pretty sure you texted me on that day and i wasn't even reading basilisk at the time and he was like dude it's the last issue (laughs) and i'm like what yeah, Boone Boone came to me with this idea years ago about these 12 issue runs that you know let's do these 12 issue maxi series. And uh and I did a book called Bone Parish, um, which uh Jonas Scarf, who did who drew Basilisk, drew Bone Parish as well. 12 issue series. Basilisk was always intended to be 12 issue series. And I I gotta tell you, I I like that format. Would I would I have preferred a 32 issue series of basilisk yep but i like knowing that i have 12 issues and i know where the story ends and i know what's going to happen and yes basilisk ends on a note that it could have continued you know i could have continued that story same with bone parish i could continue that story but i'm also happy with where they end i I was just talking to a publisher about a horror project and he said uh (laughs) he said can we can we promise each other that this thing will end without any ambiguity i was like Mm -hmm. you don't know me and you don't know horror i'm not going to end it without any ambiguity i need a little bit i need people to want more i'm never they may never get it (laughs) but i want them to want it need to leave them with a little something on the tip of their tongue right but that kind of leads in perfectly you're touching on uh, something i wanted to ask you about uh sort of your creative process when you're developing these stories especially horror stories so you said, uh, like, basically, when an idea sparks, you just start kind of free writing and, you know, outline, outline, outline all about your outlines and stuff. But I'm curious, uh, we talked to another horror writer, and he talked about something I thought was very interesting. And basically talking about uh, the kind of tools that you use as a horror writer to sort of build tension. And like, you know, uh, where like in a horror movie, you have things like the music and the score that all kind of adds to that feeling of creepiness or the scares. So I'm curious in your process, when you're doing these outlines, and you're starting from an idea, uh, how do you kind of go about building that tension in your stories? And like I said, having that creep factor when you're not having all the kind of tools that typical horror stories have. Right. So you don't get the jump scare in a comic, right? Mm -hmm. You're never going to get that, but you can control the pace in a comic in such an interesting way. And uh, I mean, I was just writing a script today and I was like, what am I, what am I doing with this scene? Why am I doing it this way? And I realized, oh no, I'm I'm slowing it. I'm slow. It was a you know, it's an a, an action heavy scene, but I kept cutting to this you know these certain visual elements that are still, and 
and you know just stagnant element that I kept intercutting to. And it's a way to kind of slow the scene down to 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 give the reader a, a second to wonder what the you know to to kind of think about the uh, the bigger picture. It's not just somebody getting murdered, right? It's a mm-hmm. there, there's you know there there are other things to consider. So there's a lot you can do with panels in terms of slowing down a scene and really control controlling the uh, the pacing. Um, you know, one of the things I, I you know I don't love in in horror comics is if you know it's it's and this is the way they've been written. You know, when I was a kid, I, I loved horror comics, but they were always like this. You know, it's just you know one panel here, and then all of a sudden, boom, the horror is right in your face, and it's you know it's uh, there's no build up, there was no uh, no sort of foreshadowing of it, mm-hmm. and there's and you just have to decide how much am I going to to foreshadow what's about to happen, how much am I just going to surprise you with it, and and you've got like you know uh, and some writers disagree with me on this, but I will stand by the idea of the turn of the page being your your biggest potential for surprise. I don't I don't like putting a surprise on. The facing page. I want the. I want the. I want any big surprises, big twists to be when you turn that page is the first time you see it. And like I said, there you know there there are other writers who are very very talented writers who you know I've had the debate with. Like, it's not necessary. It doesn't matter. Uh, but I still, for me, it does. For for me, telling these stories, and I think there's the key is I just have to decide what works for me. And that's what's going to work in in my mind. There's there's the mm-hmm. hubris. That's what's going to work for the reader <laughs> is whatever works for me and telling yeah. us and pacing it out. So so yeah, I just do a lot of I try to do a lot of things with with pacing. I think the fear element can come through if you really like a character. You know, if the reader likes a character, they're going to worry that something terrible is going to happen to that character, and uh, and that's I mean that's where you're going to get. That's where you're going to get any kind of re- anything resembling real fear is by having people worry about the fate of the characters that they're interacting with their in page. You know, all creativity, all, all creative projects is a collaboration. You know, mm-hmm. even even if I were just even writing a novel, for instance, that's a collaboration with the reader. The reader has to be a willing to to participate in this process. Um, I just went to. I just went to a haunted house with my kid, uh, my kid and some of his friends. And I remember one of his friends was like, I'm not scared. No, they can't scare me. And I remember one of the one of my son's friends says, look, if you're going to go in this haunted house with that attitude, you're not going to have fun. You got to go in, be willing to be scared. I was like, yeah, that's that's true. You know, go into mm-hmm. this, you know, so so I and I try to ap- approach things that I'm, you know, I read or I watch. I'm a collaborator in that. So I've got to be, you know, I got to open myself up to what's about to, you know, what's about to happen. And, That's a and, smart and I, kid. Yeah. I, it, it actually took me, it took me aback when I heard, I was like, oh, they know what they're talking about. You got yeah. to be willing to, you got to be willing to be a, to be scared or to participate in that, uh, that story. And that's across the board. It's, it's, you know the the it's every every creative process is a collaboration to some degree i like that you mentioned that you mentioned you enjoy the the 12 issue format but i i feel as a reader of a lot of your work you have 
exceeded my all my expectations for minis in the last few years, particularly as like four and five issue minis you've done some of, right? I Nightwalkers was an incredibly condensed short short pace on 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 vampires so far with it all right. But but trauma team that you did for Cyberpunk 2077, I praise that all the time um and and when you mention it being a collaboration something i found great about that book is your writing and miguel valderrama's art together has this incredible way of of portraying ptsd in a way that makes people feel it when it comes off the page i have bought more volumes of that than any other comic (laughs) because the people who i loan it to 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 be like hey read this end up so in love they don't want to give it back it's uh trauma team such a weird project for me because you know i you know i remember when 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 dark horse reached out to me about it i you know i used to play the pen and paper role playing game for cyberpunk much younger and i was like i "I don't know if it's exactly right for me and i pitched four or five ideas for that series and trauma team was in there, but it wasn't my favorite. It wasn't the one I was hoping they'd pick. And uh, and then they did. They said, well, we like this one. I was like, all right, well, how am I going to make this a comic that works? And and really, it was in the writing of it. I was like, I realized, yeah, because on, on one level, okay, it's, you know, sort of like Dread or The Siege or, you know, something like that. I was like, but it, the PTSD of it is really what makes it an interesting, an interesting book, I think. And one of the things I it kind of bums me out a little bit is I think there are readers who would really dig that story, but they probably didn't pick it up because they don't know, they don't know cyberpunk 2077 and they don't have to. I I mean, it's a, I I feel like it's a story anybody could read, but I I worry sometimes because it says cyberpunk 2077 up there, people are like, I, I don't play that game. I don't, you know, I don't know anything about that world and you really don't need to. Um, because it ended up being when I first took it, I was like, okay, this is going to be a it'll be a fun project, but I d- didn't necessarily see it as I didn't expect it to be the the project it was. I didn't expect it to have sort of it, to be more than a fun project, and I feel like it is. You no, know, you know, once once it was all said and done. It's uh, I I love the story. I I haven't been able to stop recommending it to people since it came out. I it hasn't interesting way of ending in a way that's bleak yet hopeful right which is very fitting for the world of of night city as as a whole i know bartos has been doing a lot with uh the cyberpunk comics for them i i gotta say i would love to to see you back behind the wheel of another comic set in that universe it was a it was a lot of fun i really you know i really enjoyed doing that story um they sent me a they, oh, it's on another shelf. I was it was behind me. They sent me a statue, uh, a cyberpunk statue, which was awesome, um, because it's this giant statue of of Trauma Team, and their helmets have the names of my characters on the helmets. Damn, uh, so, that's like, dope. It's awesome. I've got a you know a you know I've I've made a mark on Trauma Team forever. <laughs> but the, the statue, by the way, you, you should look it up sometime because it is just what a crazy crazy world where trauma team gets a statue you know and and it's a great statue because i mean they're emts they're you know they're an emergency medical team <laughs> and, and but here they are you know on this giant statue 
and you know surrounded by bullets and and blood and everything else it's a uh, it's pretty it's pretty intense Oh, that's so awesome. And I mean, we're huge fans of cyberpunk over here. Gorgon actually got me into it. We did an episode all about cyberpunk and he kind of schooled me on it. But from, I remember though, from the stories he was telling me, Trauma Team was 100% the one that I was most interested in. And I think I would urge everyone out there to go off what you were saying, like, you don't need to know cyberpunk to jump into the story. I knew nothing about cyberpunk and I jumped right into it and I loved it. So don't let that deter you from reading the book. Like you were saying, like, it's just a good ass book, whether it's, I mean, it's set in the cyberpunk world, but you don't have to be an expert by any means to get into it. But yeah, I I love it. it. I tried to make it pretty, uh, any project I do, that's like a licensed character or, you know something with a bigger world i try to to make it as easy access as i can mm-hmm. uh again because just like i said every character is somebody's favorite character every book is somebody's first issue and uh, i i want people to i want i want people to to be able to enjoy the enjoy a book if they just happen to pick it up off the shelf and you know, they've never read a comic before, but something about the cyber, you know, the cyberpunk cover speaks to them. Mm-hmm. I want them to be able to enjoy the book. Absolutely. And I, I love, love that, that attitude. And uh, that kind of leads us perfectly into another thing we wanted to bring up very quickly before we start getting into your newer stuff. Uh, so we talk, just talked about cyberpunk, which obviously, like you said, tabletop game, video game. There's talks that it's going to be a live action series now, which oh, yeah, uh, fingers yeah. fingers crossed that trauma team, maybe some of those storylines make it in <laughs> there. That'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> that would be amazing. But uh, that it reminds me also, you also do have a movie out, not you didn't direct it, but The Empty Man, which yes. I actually watched not knowing it was one of your stories. I just like popped up on the prime and then I was like, oh, shit, this is a bun. This is a bun joint. I texted yeah. Gorgon. I'm like, oh, my God, uh, Colin Bun has a movie, The Empty Man. So I'm curious, one, what was that experience like? Because I feel like I saw something where you were talking about it was kind of a so-so experience working with that movie. And I'm just curious, like, how does that process kind of work? I mean, it was a it was a fine experience. Um, it you know, it came about pretty early on after Empty Man, the first series came out and, you know, uh, Boom contacted me and said, we want to, you know, we want to make this movie. We have a director and writer in mind. We have a, you know, we want to get a script done. And it was a fine experience. I, I don't think, I don't think so-so is the right way to, to put it, but I would have liked it. If I had done it today, I would have wanted to be more involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's the only thing, and they kept me involved. You know, I saw, I don't know how many versions of the script, and I saw so many different versions of the movie, so many cuts of the movie. Um, so they and they were always asking, you know, for my input on the, on things. Um, I would have liked to have been a little more involved, and that was just me being uh, a relatively new writer and and not, you know, not wanting to to rock the boat too much. Mm-hmm. Um, because rocking the boat can make sure the movie doesn't get made at all. Um, I do, you know, I think in the end, you know, do I like when it got released in theaters? Nope. Uh, because it, it, it came out in theaters the first week of lockdown for the 
pandemic. Oh, geez. So it was, it was <laughs> terrible worst, timing. It was the worst. And, and I mean, of course, we can't predict when those things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Nobody can predict that. Um, but, you know, I'm and I'm happy to see, you know, in streaming, it's gotten more of a following and everything. Uh, the movie could have done, you know, it could have, I think it would have done a lot better if it, uh, if it hadn't, uh, hadn't come out when it did. I think the, the commercials for the movie made it, I think if you watch the trailers for the movie, it looks like a very different movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, as far as an adaptation goes, I think it's a great movie. I don't think it's necessarily a great adaptation of the comic. I think the comic and the movie are very different. And that's fine. I don't, I mean, uh, someone I just saw on Twitter, like maybe, or, or on Blue Sky, somewhere on social media, someone wrote um, that they thought the comic is a great sequel to the movie. And I, and I get what they were saying. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I see exactly what, <laughs> what they are, what they're suggesting and why it would connect in that way. Um, it wasn't intended that way. <laughs> <It> was, yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, all in all, I think it's a great movie. I just and, and you know, look, I wish there was a physical release. I wish there was a, a Blu-ray somewhere of it. Um, I have mine. I got it out of Redbox, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> grabbed it and didn't bring it back. <laughs> no, 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 no. Is, no. Redbox, Redbox, sell, Redbox sells. They sell their DVDs eventually. Oh, okay. So. Say Bun was like, this one's mine, Redbox. Sorry. (laughs) But uh, that kind of leads, I was curious, which I know I this probably isn't happening, but if it is, I know you can't say anything about it. But speaking of the your experience with movies and your work being adapted into movies, uh, we were talking about this, which another this is another one that it was like, I've read this story, but I wasn't aware it was yours until we were talking about it. You did uh, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, which is like, I mean, in my mind, at least, I'm not a Deadpool expert by any means, but that's like one of the Deadpool stories. And there's lots of talks and murmurs of that kind of loosely being adapted for this new Deadpool <laughs> movie. So again, I know if if you were involved with it, you couldn't say anything about it, but I'm just curious if that were hypothetically in the realm of possibility, and especially with all of the you know, the age of the MCU that we live in, would that be something that interests you to kind of go and play in that realm? Well, sure, absolutely. And look, go buy Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. It might be the movie. Who knows? You know, you need to prepare yourself. I want hey, people to you buy heard that it book. here right now from himself. <laughs> but if I'm being honest, no one's ever said that to me. I've mm-hmm. seen all the rumors and I've seen the pictures, of, you know, uh, that it, maybe it is, you know, but... Mm-hmm. That is that would be that would be pretty awesome, I think. But I have not heard that that is the case. So how's that? I, that's like I said. I knew I knew we wouldn't get a solid answer for you. I'm more so just asking. people should go buy that book and yeah. they should, uh, and they can decide. Uh, it's it's a fun. It's an interesting book for me because it is. It's one that people either love. Or man, they don't hate the book, but they sure as hell hate me for writing it. I mean, I love I that get, book. <laughs> I get, That's crazy. I, I get so much. I still to this day, I think the book came out t- over ten years ago, right? Yeah, it's know. been a it, minute. Uh, um, 
I still get people who are just so damn mad about that book. And uh and mainly because of Spider-Man in the book. But uh wah, wah. sorry, sorry. I, mean, <laughs> I also feel like if Don't you buy cry. the book, if you buy a book with the title Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. I gotta do what the title promises. I mean, the, yeah. the title's a promise. I can't just not kill the Marvel universe. Exactly, oh. especially Spider-Man. Like, it, like you said, Marvel Universe. That's like you think of Spider-Man when you think that you gotta, you gotta get yeah, it's, it. It's, it's interesting because you know it was one of Marvel's best-selling books for. It still is, I think. Mm -hmm. For for so for a long time, it was like always top of the Marvel charts. And I was like, so somebody likes to see Deadpool <laughs> kill in the Marvel universe. I mean. Yeah. But like I said, I in my mind, that's like one of the Deadpool stories. Like, I feel like even if you're not, you've never read a Deadpool comic, you know of Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe. Like, it's yeah, iconic. You know, and I get it. I get why people don't like it. Uh, I get or might not like it to see their character, their favorite characters getting killed. We we just talked about every character somebody's favorite. Yeah, you sure. You don't want to see Spider-Man getting his brains blown out. <laughs> but, but I'm afraid that's what you're gonna get in Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe. And uh, but the good news is it's just a, it's another it's it's an alternate it's multiverse. Yeah. That seems to be the excuse for everything now. Multiverse, exactly. It's, it's a multiverse, baby. Anything and everything is canon. It's all possible. Yeah. Well, no, the, it would it would be neat. Well, in the multiverse of cinema, you you've had the Empty Man become a, a movie, right? You've you've have potentially some of your work being uh, inspiration for Deadpool three, right? If if the internet is right for its rumors. You you have a, an incredible Halloween movie countdown going on um, on 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 your website. You started back in September the first, and I'm curious: Do you have any other work you've wrote that you would love to see get made into a show or a movie? I know fans would love to see a show of Harrow's County or Basilisk go on for a few seasons, but do you have any you've wrote that would be your dream? Oh, all of them. <laughs> they oh. all need to be produced as as film. Got yeah, the check. I mean, Let's I, go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there are several several that. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's not a joke. I'd love to see any of it get get you know adapted. But there are. I'm looking over at my bulletin board. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of my projects currently in some form of development, and. Uh, and you know oh. that, that it can mean nothing though because mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's gonna you know get anywhere. Uh, I mean, since I started working in comics, there's always been something in development. You know, there's always been a project in development. Um, it, it's just it, you know it it can be it can be a challenge to get that get the ball across the goal line. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's there is. It really comes the same with doing comics in general. There are a thousand things that will stand in the way of anything ever hitting, you know, hitting the shelf. And, uh, and when, you know, movies and TV, it's the same thing. It just there's, you know, a million things standing in the way of it ever happening. But yeah, I'm, you know, there's, there's always a ton of, of stuff in the works. Um, and and some of it, you know, some of it's very early in processes. Some of it is, you know, much, you know, much farther down the, the line. And, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, we'll wait and see. Fingers crossed. That leads us 
that leads us perfect towards towards our next topic we like to get with with writers and when when they come on is what do you have in in the works right now and coming up and you just had legacy of violence volume two come out yeah uh legacy of violence it's a another 12 issue a 12 issue story that i'm doing with uh with with mad cave um it's it's a weird one for me because it is a straight slasher story. I mean, there's some there's some mm-hmm. weird stuff going on behind the, you know, in in the background of the story. But it's a it, it it's a real world slasher. There's no uh, there's no supernatural elements to uh, to fall back on and and uh, protect me with. <laughs> yeah, well, um, we were lucky enough to read volume two a little early, and I mean, I really enjoyed it. I actually I read caught up with volume one as well. And like you said, it's just a straight up slasher, but you also got like a thriller kind of mystery going on in the background, which I really am loving. And I'm curious, I know that you're a big fan, you're a fan of horror in general, obviously, but I know you're a fan of slashers in particular. So I'm curious, what was the process like creating your own slasher and not only creating your own slasher, but you kind of touched on this a little bit uh, before with like building the tension uh, again, there's this kind of mystery going on in the background, and I'm curious, how do you go about laying out that mystery through, like, we're talking about these 12 issues? Like, yeah. how do you know, like, oh, I'm giving away too much, or I need a little bit more here? How does that kind of work? Well, it was nice, um, you know, to some degree, I, I would have almost said, oh, man, 12 issues is too much for, you know, a slasher story. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I need that. But having 12 issues allowed me to really pace that out and take my time with it. You know, there's, you know, I, there's, I try to have sort of a big shocking moment, at least one in every issue, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I try, I was able to really take my time with it. And the, the mystery that's kind of unfolding in the background is how I, I didn't want it to be just like any, any, you know, any slasher movie i wanted or slasher character i needed something to set it apart uh and that that mystery is what i thought would would be that was sort of the tool to set the rest of that uh of that story apart and then and then it was just drawing on uh you, and i'm not a huge slasher i do like slashers i probably more now than i did even five or six years ago i was never i never considered myself a big slasher guy but uh, but I, I think I am probably more so than I than I used to believe. But I I, I wanted to draw on like Jallo and and things like rather than than straight uh, you know American you know slashers. I wanted mm-hmm. it to to have and that's what I think gives it that sort of thriller vibe uh, versus you know the unstoppable the the unstoppable shape kind of vibe. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's more kind of like a. Like, I mean, like you said, thriller, like mystery, like this guy, the the slasher of the story, he doesn't, we, there's no name for him, at least yet, correct? Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah. Did I miss it? There, there is no name for him. I don't okay. even, I think even in the script, I just call him the killer. Yeah, or skull face or yeah, whatever. I don't, yeah. I don't give him, yeah, I don't give him like, you know, uh, a cool slasher name. He does talk, but he's not a he's not a wise he's not he's not cracking wise in mm-hmm. the in the story, and it's it's not a story where there's a lot of there's not a lot of lightheartedness in uh, <laughs> in legacy of violence. It's it's a pretty yeah. grim a pretty grim story. 
grim and it's definitely pretty gruesome but i do i really like you said the killer uh, i'm gonna call him skull face because i like that but uh so like you said he doesn't he doesn't talk very much in the story but when he does speak i really love the way that you wrote his character where like you said it's not necessarily like the michael myers like unstoppable shape or even like jason Voorhees. It's much more, at least in my opinion, like methodical. And like there's, again, going back to the mystery kind of theme of the book, like there's more at play here. And like he's like playing this definitely sick and twisted game, but it is kind of like a game to him. And I think it's just a very, he's while a man of few words, he's a very interesting character. And I feel like, uh, you know, the, the mystery of who he is and where he's coming from, that informs the way I, I tried to write him. So it all mm-hmm. plays into where, where it's going, hopefully. I hope that's the way it, it all ends up. When when it's all said and done, it works for the readers. Well, I can't but, wait to find out who it is. I've been racking my brain. I was reading it last night again before we hopped on here, and I was like, man, I'm trying to think of who it is. And uh, next issue is going to be in January, correct? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so... I cannot wait to find out who Skullface is. Uh, anyone out there listening or watching this, like we said, that came out, the, the second volume came out last week on the 11th. What if they take the skull off and it's just another skull? Oh! <laughs> now that would be a twist. Now that would be a twist. <laughs> You uh, you have a lot of other work coming out uh, here pretty soon. Um, you've been promoting pretty heavy Crooked Hills, your new book you have coming out that you're writing on Kickstarter, not a comic, uh, yeah. which you've kind of described as Abbott and Costello meeting Frankenstein, Stranger Things meeting Paper Girls, Goonies on Blair Witch. Tell us a little bit about that, what you can, and maybe some of your other stuff coming up, like the Midnight Show or Retroverse with Dark Horse. Yeah, um... Yeah, Crooked Hills is currently, I don't know when this airs, but I'm sure it'll still be going on when this airs, but uh, Crooked Hills is on Kickstarter right now. It is a, it's a prose novel set in the Missouri Ozarks. It's about a kid who is, um, goes on summer vacation to visit family in the Ozarks and gets embroiled in a story with witches and hellhounds and everything else. It is written, um, with sort of it's an all ages kind of story me so my my idea with it is a kid eight to 12 year old could read this book just fine and enjoy it and get scared and have a spooky good time but adults could still enjoy it and find something you know uh, fun to do uh you know a lot of times you say all ages and people just kind of oh, all ages that's <laughs> for little that's for little kids um and that's just not how i approach it uh but yeah it, it's written that that kids can enjoy it um adults can enjoy it and it's the first book in a series that I'm doing with uh, with Outland Entertainment. Um, and yeah, on, on Kickstarter right now, I think it ends on November 2nd is the end of the campaign. Um, and then, yeah, uh, you know, I'm doing a Midnight Show is a book I'm doing with my longtime collaborator, Brian Hurt. That's coming out from Dark Horse. The first issue just came out and it is... It's kind of what I call popcorn horror. It's it's just a fun, <laughs> bloody, uh, actiony uh, horror story about a movie studio that produced um, a number of, of sort of classic you know movies: Dracula, 
the, the Wolfman, the you know, Frankenstein. And they produced all these movies in the in the you know 60s and 70s. And their final movie, which was supposed to be this masterpiece that had all the monsters in it, the, the studio burns down during the filming of the movie. And it's kind of considered this cursed horror film. Um, and then this uh this film festival gets hold of the the reels and they show them as part of a film festival. And as soon as they start showing those reels, these monsters start manifesting uh around the town and start wreaking havoc and and it's a it's a four issue series from from dark horse but i think it's it's just a lot of fun it's it's a it's a joy to work with brian hurt on uh on a project again and bill crabtree uh you know bill they both worked with me on on the six gun so it's you know it's getting the gang back together to do mm-hmm. this this fun horror story and then, yeah, uh, you know, I've got Ghost Lore coming out from Boom right now. I think the first the first trade paperback just came out for that, which is sort of this epic ghost story. Uh, and each issue has its own little... The, I, I, the conceit of the book is, what ghost stories do ghosts tell? And so every, every issue has... It has an ongoing epic storyline, but every issue has a small ghost story included in it as well that's drawn by a different artistic team um so it's kind of got a little bit of an, an anthology vibe to it um as well as being this bigger story um and then yeah there's just a yeah i've got uh i've got a book coming out from dark horse that i'm really excited about next year called beyond mortal um it's coming out as an original graphic novel uh, next year. Now, a couple of years back, I ran a Kickstarter for the first chap, the first issues worth of that series, and then, and then now Dark Horse is just going to publish the rest of it as a, a graphic novel, um, along with that first issue. So you'll have the entire story. But it uh, it started out as me creating my own superhero universe, and uh, I mm-hmm. created a superhero universe, and I've kind of I've kind of described Beyond Mortal as. Uh, what if the Justice League or the Avengers fought the Cthulhu mythos? So it's a story that introduces a whole whole world of superheroes. And as it starts out, these elder beings are encroaching into our reality. And, uh, and it's, it's a, it's got a lot of superhero action, but it's got a lot of horror in it. It's got a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, cosmic, cosmic terror elements. And what's really neat about it, uh, so this first graphic novel tells the first Beyond Mortal story, but Danny Luckert, who is the artist on the book, and I are already working on a spinoff series that Dark Horse is going to be putting out that takes place in the Beyond Mortal universe. And we have another series in the Beyond Mortal universe. So we're really creating our own shared universe that we are going to start telling these, uh, and they're very different kind of vibes different kind of stories with different heroes we're introducing new new superheroes in in really cool ways and uh, but they all take place in this sort of horror themed version of our of a superhero world mm-hmm. and uh, so i'm really excited about it it all starts with this graphic novel that comes out from from dark horse here uh in i can't remember what the date is it early next year early to mid next year the first graphic novel comes out and it's gorgeous because Danny Luckert's an amazing artist. And uh, and yeah, if you want to see superheroes fighting elder beings and not always faring very well, <laughs> uh, this is the uh, this is the series for you. 
Well, mm. I'm a hundred percent sold on that pitch alone. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Like we said, when we started this interview, the bun business is booming. My friend, you are, you're a busy man. You got so many books coming out. I do want to really quickly though, touch uh really quick back on crooked Hill though, just because I'm really excited about that. Uh, I was watching you on a friend of the show, Blake, Blake's buzz. Oh, yeah. We love Blake, and uh, I heard you talking about it on there. And, man, I just think it sounds so cool. I'm super excited. Uh, obviously, you know, we're a comic podcast, but I love reading, you know, regular novels as well. And, uh, I'm like I said, I'm really excited for that. I love the cover uh, of the book. You got that big dog on there. It literally looks yeah. like my dog that I have. So I was like, oh, my God, there's Thor on the cover. Yeah, like, I got to get this book. Wait, your but, dog's name is Thor? Yeah, my dog's name is Thor, Thory and slash Thor. Well, so not to digress, but I have to know <laughs> there there is a book called Thor. Have you read this book called Thor? That's a werewolf novel. There's a werewolf novel called Thor, and I haven't read it. <laughs> tell Thor. me, tell me the, more. the The author's name is I'm, I'm a, I, I hate that I can't remember. Uh, I think it's yeah Wayne Smith or Smythe Wayne Wayne Smith. The novel is called Thor. What? It's about a German shepherd that uh, you know this family. And he has to protect his family from this uh, this werewolf. Uh, there's a movie adaptation too. I was so, saying, I feel like I saw a movie like that. I well, might have seen the, the movie. It's called Bad Moon. The movie's Bad Moon. It's not called Thor. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Uh, what? That's if crazy. A, if you have a big dog named Thor, you should. I have least... a Belgian Malinois slash oh, German wow. Shepherd. So. All right. Well, you should watch. You should Time watch Bad Moon and you should read Thor for sure. That's why I, you're address, blowing my but, mind right now. Like, I don't know how I have not read this, but yeah, like I said. I I wrote it down right now so when I get off of here that's definitely what I'm going to be doing but yeah. back to Crooked Hills though with the dog in that story like I said I'm super excited and again going back to the description I mean Stranger Things meets Paper Girls I that's like that's all I need to pick up the book that alone like again just sells me on that 100% and I think it all kind of goes back to you were talking about you know a lot of it is from your experience you know growing up in these small kind of rural towns and i wanted to ask you too i thought i heard you say that this was actually one of the first short stories that you wrote like when you started writing novels and short stories but you had didn't really develop it is that true or did i misread that no no this one uh that's actually harrow county was a, a short okay story i started and i never finished and then i ended up doing it as a comic okay and, i must have got them mixed up yeah well, but, you know, so Crooked Hills is something I wrote. The first book is something I wrote a long time ago, and it came out from a, a very small publisher, and it went out of print very quickly. So that's one of the reasons I'm glad we're able to do it now. You know, Outland's able to do it. We can kickstart it and and get it out there again for folks and do what I've always wanted to do with it, which is tell a longer, you know, a series of, a series of books. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's got a lot of that kind of, that kind of, uh, you know, backwoods horror vibe to it, and uh, and you know, Gorgon, you said earlier when I when how I've said, you know, it's important that you know if it's a if it's a book with fun and humor in it that it doesn't that it's not from the monsters, and this is that mm -hmm. kind of deal. The 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 villains and the monsters in this book are 
they're playing for keeps and they're not uh, they're not funny they're not humorous characters but there's a lot of humor and heart in it because these kids are dealing with it and they're dealing with it as kids as kids do mm-hmm. and uh so it was a it was easy to get that sense of fun and adventure and joking even though the monsters in the book are you know, like I said, they're 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 serious business. They're not uh, <laughs> they're not joking around. They're not joking around, and it's just it's just something I I've, and you know we say Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, and and that movie is always has always spoken to me because Abbott and Costello are full of jokes, and that all the humor comes from them, not from any of the Universal monsters who are mm-hmm. kind of you know stalking around. They're all just scary monsters, and. Yeah. Uh, and I can I can get behind that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite uh, Halloween movies as well. Oh, yeah, so when sure. I was uh, hearing you talk about that, and I heard you shout that out, I was like, again, okay, hundred percent, you got my money. I'm excited for this. But that's gonna you said that's gonna be uh, the Kickstarter ends on November second for that. Right. So everyone listening and watching, please go uh, back that on Kickstarter. I will be throwing the link to that in the description here. And this will actually uh, be coming out as our kind of Halloween special this year. So it'll be out before the Kickstarter ends. So again, if you guys are in the future listening to this, go on Kickstarter right now, back it, because I'm super excited to read it. Everything I've heard you talk about it just makes me even more and more excited for it. And I can't wait. And, you know, the book's written, so it's going to fulfill relatively quickly. You're not going to have to wait, you know, a year to get this book. It's mm-hmm. the book's written, the designs have been done, you know, edits have been done, you know, everything's ready to go on the book. It's just uh, as soon as as soon as we can get, you know, as soon as the funding gets cleared through Kickstarter, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're going to hit the hit the ground running ready to cook with gas and then also i just want to mention very quickly you also have some really awesome tiers available for the kickstarter there's uh original artwork for the chapters uh one of them is uh actually a sneak peek for the next uh volume of the crooked hills for the next book which come on guys going back this book so i need more i i haven't even read the book yet and i still need more and i want more already so yeah we've got some we've got some cool things we've got uh uh, one of the things I really like uh, pledge level wise is you can actually buy a copy for your library. So you get your copy mm-hmm. and we'll send a copy to the library of your choice. Um, there's a, there's a level where I will, uh, we have Crooked Hills postcards and I will hand write on the back of the postcard uh, a one of a kind Crooked Hills short story that only you will have. Um, oh. so there's, there's some, you know, there's some things that are, uh that's the one that scares me i did it we did a book called raise uh <laughs> was our one of the first things i did with outland and i offered up a bunch of these postcards like 40 or 50 of them writing 50 of those stories i was like oh god because i was really like, <laughs> yeah. i gotta come up with a new story um so it, that that slowed me down a little bit crooked hills the stories will come a little easier i think than than they did for raise um but yeah, we're and we're doing. I mean, and it's a very limited. I'm not doing as many of them as I did with Raise, but uh, I think it's a fun. I think it's a fun, a fun pro, you know, project level. Just because you will get something that no one else has. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the ones I did with Raise, I took a picture of them, so I would always, you know, I always remembered. I, I'd handwrite it and I took a picture so that I'd have the story uh, for my archives. But that's it. That's that's where they 
that's where it will exist. You'll have a one-of-a-kind store. <laughs> that is so awesome. Like I said, I cannot wait for that. Everyone, go back that so we can get – I want my own little short story. I, I don't know about <laughs> you guys, but I want mine. So, like I said, go back that so we can all enjoy this great, great story and this universe that Mr. Bun is creating. But that – I mean, I could sit here – we both could sit here and talk to you all day long and talk about all your work. Again, the bun business is booming more than ever. We could sit here and talk about all the great stuff you're doing. But I do want to ask you, since, again, this is kind of going to be our Halloween special episode, uh, something you touched on uh, when we were just talking about Abbott and Costello and the kind of Hollywood movie monsters – uh, you're writing them a little bit in the midnight show that you were just talking about with the, yeah. the movie studio and all that. But I'm curious where we've, we've been talking about these long runs and like short runs and all that. And a question that we typically ask people is like, what's a character you would love, you would love to write for. I want to know if you could have a long form run of any classic Hollywood monster, like Dracula, <laughs> invisible man, wolf, any one of them. Which one would you pick? And like I'm talking like 30, 40 issues, like a good and, and you're and you're talking about the clat like one of the, the key classics, right? Well, I mean, it could be a deep cut too. I, I know you're a fan of the blob. We could throw the blob out there, the thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think the blob supports a long running series. <laughs> <laughs> Man, um, who knows? I think the thing could support a long running series, and that might be cool. Uh, I've always wanted, I have big dreams of doing a Phantasm series, and I think a Phantasm series could be a long-running comic. Uh, if we're talking the Universal Monsters, you know, the I would say Dracula, but it's tough to beat Tomb of Dracula as a long-running mm -hmm. you know, vampire comic. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to even try to compete with that masterpiece <laughs> of a, of a comic. Um, so I might say the creature from the Black Lagoon just to see what you I can like do. That. It might be, it might be cool. Look, one of those, one of those movies in the Creature from the Black Lagoon franchise. I can't remember how many there were, but one of them's really bad. I mean, it's it's <laughs> like it's they they like cut the creature's gills off and they turn mm -hmm. it. Like he can walk on land and stuff, and they put him in a jumpsuit. I'm like, come on. No, I feel like that's the second one, but I could be it's wrong. Really, it's really I think it's the creature walks among us, mm. but I can't remember which one it was. What a terrible, terrible <laughs> that one was. Um, but I think it might be cool to explore some mythology around that creature and where mm -hmm. he you know, where where he came from and uh, and yeah, and it's just Pages and pages and issues and issues of the creature reaching out for people's feet and almost touching them. That's just <laughs> just the five, 30 issues of just almost <laughs> imagine imagine the, the cover in this issue. <laughs> the creature finally touches a foot. And that's <laughs> issue 30. He finally gets her. <laughs> right. But I love that. I personally I'm a huge fan of the Hollywood, you know, original movie monsters, universal monsters. Yeah. And I mean, everyone picks, you know, Wolfman, Dracula. But I've personally always had a special place for the creature of the Black Lagoon. So oh, I love yeah. that that that's who your pick was. Well, he was oh. it, the creature. The creature just had such a cool design, and and was yeah. It it's just an interesting. I think uh, it could provide a really interesting setting, and and really the creature does not have a backstory the way mm -hmm. Dracula does or Frankenstein does. It's just a creature. 
but where did he come from? What ha- what, what's his deal? Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I think that's the one that if if uh, if that ever happened, that'd be kind of cool. Just a long running creature from the Black Lagoon series. I'm I'm down. I love it. Well, before we get out of here today, Mr. Bunn, I do have to ask for my own satisfaction. I am kind of no. You mentioned earlier that uh. Any any character you write could end up being somebody's favorite character, right? That's mm-hmm. that's kind of how that works. And I'm kind of known on Twitter for being the world's biggest new 52 Lobo fan, um, which sadly for me ended with that man trapped in a jar. Technically, oh, he is still alive in a <laughs> glass jar. Is like there any hope for a deranged like fan that he'd break out of that jar ever? I would so. Even though I said earlier I don't chase Mar or you know Marvel and DC as much anymore, I within the last few weeks put a Lobo pitch together that I really I don't think it'll happen, but I would really love to see it happen. And it goes back to when I was when I took on that Lobo. I've said this elsewhere. My original pitch was uh, love him or hate. I like him. I love him. But we do call him Sparkly Lobo because that's an easy, <laughs> just, you know, he's the sparkly version of Lobo. Um, my original pitch for that was that Lobo or Sexy Lobo, Sexy Lobo or Sparkly Lobo. <laughs> I like um, Sexy Lobo. Sexy Lobo. I, um, I like Sexy Lobo. The original, I... <laughs> the original pitch I had for this series was Sexy Lobo and Main Man Lobo were brothers, and they were flying through the universe in like a souped up space impala or something and they were you know going on bounty hunter you know jobs together and they they hate each other but they're brothers they're stuck together and i i kind of had an odd couple vibe to it and i still think there's a place for that story in the world i think that i think there i think that's a an interesting take uh and it'd be interesting to see those two play against each other um, so I, I, within the last two weeks, I put a pitch together for that to revisit that. I don't think, I don't think it's something that will ever happen. But, you know, you know who didn't like Sexy Lobo? The great Keith Giffen, who we just lost uh, in the last week. He was not a fan of Sexy Lobo, but he was always cool with me when we talked about it. He's like, <laughs> he's like I don't like, I don't like that version of Lobo, and I get it. Even though I would say he was closer to the version that that Giffen created than the main man was, but uh, you know, I would agree personally. I mean, it's one of the only new Fifty Two stories that starts off with with the new person beheading their former self, right? I uh, that's right. Mm, yeah. That's it was hot. a weird. It was a weird one from that point of view. Is and boy, talk about getting hate. <laughs> yeah, right out the gate. That was one I knew, you know, and I knew people wouldn't like it. But yeah, uh, so I don't like that Lobo being in a jar. I think that Lobo had potential still. And uh, and I would I'd love to I'd love to see a world where we could make people love that version of Lobo, because I think a lot of he was a great Lobo for people who didn't like the main man Lobo and weren't into that version of the character. Um, Absolutely. And uh, and yeah, but, but I also would love to see those two characters together because I think they'd be, I think it would be kind of hilarious to see those those two playing off each other as they go about their uh, crazy adventures. Well, especially with Crush in the mix now, you, there's got to be some way oh, yeah. to to bring that dynamic into it all. So yeah, I think whole, that could be a lot of fun. It's a whole Lobo family. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Sons of Mjolnir and being part of our family today. I, we're, we're glad to have you on for it all. We're glad to get to, to talk with you about your books, your things coming out for you. Um, do you have anything you haven't promoted that you'd like to, or, or if not, tell the people where to find you? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, to, to keep in touch with me, you know, I have a website, which is cullenbun.com. I do a weekly newsletter that is completely free, comes out every Monday, and I dig i do deep dives into everything that's going on in my life everything that's going on in my writing process uh everything that i've got coming out um you'll get a a, a regular update on that um i have a patreon i'm on so social all under cullen bun so uh, and you can find all that from you know the starting point of my website you'll be able to get to any of that stuff Beautiful, beautiful. And I will put I'll be putting all those links in the description under there. I'm going to be putting the links for uh, your Kickstarters, the Crooked Hills. I'm going to put Legacy of Violence in there. So all the stuff that we talked about every all the great stuff that Mr. Bun's got going on, go down in the description, you'll be able to find it. If you like this video, consider giving us a like and subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. And just to echo what Gorgon was saying, Mr. Bun, we cannot thank you enough for coming and nerding out with us today. This has been an absolute joy. We couldn't have asked for any better. And I mean, again, we could I could sit here and talk to you all day long. I could pick your brain for hours and hours. But I mean, you have books to write. You got stuff to do. So you got to get out of here, unfortunately. But like I said, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. Gorgon, is there anything you got uh, left for Mr. Bun before he gets out of here? Without sounding like an absolute psycho fan child of, <laughs> of, of your writing, no. I'm just absolutely <laughs> thrilled thrilled to have you here. I, I you're, you're one of our dream guests to have on the show, and it's very surreal to be able to sit here and, and talk with you to, to the person who made me care about who's the name behind the comics. So I'm just glad you got to be here. I'm glad that our listeners and viewers get, get to hear you talk about your work today. Well, I really appreciate it. It uh, means a lot for you guys to, to have me on and, and talk with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's going to be all that we have for you today, folks. Right. Thank you again to Mr. Bun for coming and hanging out with us. Again, if you like this video, leave us a like. Consider subscribing. We hope that all your stacks are fat this week and that you stay hydrated. And also, happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah, happy Halloween. It's been wonderful. Mm -hmm.